I'm Steve Van Horn. Uh, I was a pastor for 25 years in the area. And in 1998, I took a big step of faith, and it was a step of faith for me to go to Kenya to teach uh, as an adjunct at a seminary there. And I went with fear and trembling, and I was just going to teach one class and kind of see what was going on. And, and as it turned out, it was a hand-in-glove experience. And God grabbed my heart, and I started going back twice a year as an adjunct and then getting involved with students in different countries in Africa. Things continued to grow. In uh, 2003, I started an organization called International Training and Equipping Ministries. So since 2003, we have been giving pastors throughout Africa a biblical theological foundation, those who cannot get to school. And uh, then we went on to helping them understand what a, a biblical dynamic church looks like from scripture, and then helping them become more efficient in being able to study and preach accurately God's word. And so that's what we've been doing for 20 years. But in more recent years, my real passion has been in this technical area, this word called apologetics. We talked a little bit about that last week and I'm going to be talking about it more this week. Uh, but on top of all of that, the most important part of my life is that I am the husband of one wife, Brenda, over here. And in Africa, you have to say of one wife because even pastors over there have more than one wife. It's just kind of a thing that the culture has allowed in. I think they look at the Old Testament. They said that the Abraham had multiple wives. And, so this is just part of helping them understand what the Bible says. And uh, you get into the qualifications of leadership in the church in 1 Timothy, the husband of one wife, literally a one-woman man. So I'm the husband of one wife, Brenda, for 53 years. I'm the father of two grown daughters, the grandfather of six granddaughters, the great-grandfather of two great-granddaughters, but also, <laughs> but also two great-grandsons now. So, yeah, we thank God for that. And just one more thing I want to encourage you, that as I have been studying this whole area of apologetics and worldview and trying to understand, really, really firmly understand God's plan from eternity to eternity, I just want you to embrace the importance of family. It's not, just, it's not something that has become a part of culture throughout time. It is something that God has put into creation and it is as, it is as, as uh, a natural part of creation as gravity. Nobody invented gravity. Nobody invented family. It's been a part of God's creation from the beginning. And as, as you know, if you're paying attention, our culture is trying to rip apart the family. And uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, <clears throat> or Friday, and they were reading articles from different journals, newspapers, and so forth. And corporate America has this vision for our culture. Provide child care from beginning to end so that we can get both husbands and wives into the workforce and grow the economy. 
So when you hear these things about childcare, 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 childcare for everybody, free government paid childcare, et cetera, understand in the background just the motives behind all of that. Uh, and then there are those forces taking advantage of that to try to pull kids from their mom, from their dad. So these are all things that, that uh, are happening, the things that we're trying to respond to, the things that we're trying to understand, and these are the things that we're going to be talking about a little bit more today. A couple of words up there. Oikos, I'll be talking about that in a minute. Apologetics. Just a reminder, quick review. Tell me just a little bit about apologetics, that word. You remember the verse that it came from? 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter said, be ready what? Make a defense, to give a reason. And that's the Greek word apologia, which we get the English word of, I need to turn this on now. Okay, can't get going. We've got two live mics up here fighting for each other. Is that you, Lord? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to kind of repeat some of that. So last week we were talking about this word apologetics, which comes from Peter's first epistle, chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. Always being ready. There's some implications there. How, are, how do we get ready? To give a reason, make a defense for the hope that's within you. And we pointed out last week that the context was persecution and intimidation, which is in the previous verse. And in our culture today, there is growing pressure upon us, pressure upon Christianity in general, discrimination, intimidation. And so the book of 1 Peter helps us, help them, but it also helps us to understand how to respond to this. I just one example, I'm not going to go any further than this. Never return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. So when we're insulted, what do we do? We bless. When somebody does evil to us, what do we do? We bless. And that's a Christian response to intimidation and persecution. And that's why when we do this, they say, What's going on with you? Now we're ready to give a reason or a defense for the hope that's within us. We'll be talking about that a little bit more this week. So the idea of apologetics. Last week there was one principle that we talked about a lot, and that was what? Actively listening. Thank you. Actively listening. James said be quick to hear. And we talked a lot about just listening. Just listening to a person's story before you even say anything. The, uh, some of the guys that I've read, listened to over the last few years, I remember one in particular, they were talking together, and, and one person said, I've got a rule. Don't say anything for five minutes. Just listen. And somebody said, my rule's 10 minutes. So the idea is just let people tell you their story, where they're coming from, why they believe what they believe, what has influenced them, what has brought them to this place, that shows that we're very interested in them as a person, 
that we're not just trying to put a notch in our belt by getting someone into the kingdom of God, which is what we want to do, but we want to win them as a person. When I did my master's uh, thesis, and it was actually on this word oikos, and we'll be talking about it in a minute, a survey or a study that I came across with three different groups of people, people who would hear the gospel, not respond, respond and not follow through, or respond and follow through. And they, it wasn't 100%, but there were three categories. The first category where people didn't respond much, or very few, is where they identified the evangelist, that's you and me, as a teacher, and the presentation as a lecture. People weren't responsive. <coughs> Second group saw the evangelist, you and me, as a salesman, and the presentation as a manipulated dialogue. Attract four spiritual laws. Law one, law two, law three, law four. Now after you see these four laws, it doesn't seem reasonable to trust Christ. Have you ever, I, I, I haven't in recent years, but there's been times in my life where you have a salesman come into your home, they've got their flip chart, and they go through the flip chart, now you see this, you see this, you see this. Isn't it reasonable to buy my product now? A salesman manipulated dialogue. Those who were most responsive saw the, saw the evangelist as a friend and the presentation as a discussion or a dialogue. It's just a friend talking to a friend about what means most to them. But to begin that, or to have, be a part of that discussion, you've got to yet know what's most important to them. It's a discussion, friend to friend, which implies building relationships. And that's really a big part of evangelism, is building relationships. And we'll talk more about that as we did last week. Even before we get into, oops, there, oh, there it is. I, did, I just added this slide this morning. Another podcast I listened to uh, driving back from Eugene last night, I heard the author of this book, Mark, Mark Middleburg, Contagious Faith, and that little bottom part there says, discover your natural style for sharing Jesus with others. And what he, listening to this interview, I haven't read the book, but every one of us have a different style. We're not all gonna share Christ the same way. And he goes through scripture, and for instance, I just remember the three of them off this. You have uh, the blind man who was healed. And he says, all I know is once I was blind and now I see. And the guy's name is Jesus. So maybe it's just sharing your testimony. Maybe it's just sharing your own story and what Jesus has done for you. There's the other one, Matthew, after Jesus got a hold of Matthew, what did Matthew do? He threw a party. He invited his own, his friendly tax collectors, brought them to his home and introduced them to Jesus. So maybe your thing is entertainment. And you can bring your friends together and have somebody come and give their testimony or just talk about their faith or something. A hospitality kind of evangelism. Then you have the Apostle Paul who was a scholar, the thinker, the analytical person who was ready to 
to share facts and interact with the most scholarly people. So we all have our own style. And don't try to copy somebody else's style unless it really fits your personality. Figure out who you are and be comfortable with that. And remember, we're not all, how do I want to say, God wants to use all of us as ambassadors. But some of us are going to be better gardeners, sowers, some, some plants, some water, but it's God that gives the increase. And so don't be intimidated. Just something else that, that I just recommend, just a principle, is that make, and maybe you do this already, no matter who you're talking about, don't be afraid to just bring God into the conversation. Bring your church into the conversation. Bring Jesus into your conversation like it's just a normal part of your life. That's like throwing out a seed. They may ignore it, it may go right by them, but they might catch something and ask you a question. So just make it a normal part of your discussion, a normal part of your life. If it's something that you, if, if you, you guys got all excited about this first, first hymn and say, man, we had this great, this great hymn Sunday and people were so alive, if that just comes naturally into the conversation, say so. So there's different ways of doing things. Okay, let's go back. That was a paid advertisement commercial. <laughs> so, oikos apologetics. Apologetics, being prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within us. Connecting relationship, lifestyle, and being ready to give an answer. So, do you remember the story of Peter and Cornelius? And there was two things going on at the same time. Peter was being told, go talk to this group over here, Cornelius. And Cornelius is being told by an angel, somebody's going to come to you and is going to have something to say to you. And so God brings them together. You know the story. And in Acts 10.24 it says, now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together who? his relatives and close friends. Then if you remember the story, Peter came, shared the gospel, and they responded to the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter was a Jew. And the Jews didn't, didn't get along with the Gentiles because they were unclean, they hadn't submitted themselves to the Jewish law. So Peter had to go back to Jerusalem and report to the people there what had happened to this Gentile group. But here's what, and what he did, he went back and quoted what Cornelius had told him. And what, Cor what Cornelius told Peter was what the angel told Cornelius. And here's what he said. Peter returned to Jerusalem to report and says, he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Have you ever read that verse and thought, what is there about sharing the gospel that one person responds and now the whole household is saved? Has that ever bothered you? We just kind of, eh, I don't know what it means, but I know, I know it's not what it sounds like. Well, notice what it says in 1024. Who was there? his relatives and close friends. And then Peter 
defines that as your household. Other examples, Lydia opened her heart and she and her household were baptized. The jailer was told, believe and you will be saved and your what? Your household. So here's this word household, which is the word oikos in the Greek. So what does it mean? If you go back in the Old Testament and trace the, to the same, the, the, the kind of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and you look in Deuteronomy 12, 7 through, or 12, 7 to 12, within that context, it's talking about sons, daughters, servants, and Levites. That was part of the household in Deuteronomy. Now, what do you notice there? They're all kind of friendly. So oikos, the classical meaning, is house or dwelling, household, house. The more particular use is those bound together by sharing the same dwelling place, those within the home. But when you look at the broad, Matthew 10, 6, and we won't look at that, you'll have these notes uh, online and you can look that up for yourself. It's the idea of family, clan, or tribe. Now, last week, one of the first verses that I, that I shared, or passage, <clears throat> came out of that little book of Jude, the short letter of Jude. And you remember what he was talking about there. Let me get these helpers on and read those verses for you. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And these were the key verses. Have mercy on some who are doubting. There's that word, some. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And that's a study of its own. But we said what we are to be focusing on are the some and the others in our own life. Remember us talking about that? Your oikos. Your family, your friends, your clan, your tribe. As talked about in Matthew. So here's some of the New Testament principles. Your oikos is your priority the some and the others in Jude. Those are the ones we ought to be focusing on. That's our household. You will be saved, you and your household. So there's some connection there between us and our household. And we'll see what that connection is. And these are just some of the examples. If we had time, we'd look at all of those. But again, you'll have them on your, on your notes on the website when Pastor puts those up. But you see Levi, the demoniac, Andrew, Philip, a healed son, Crispus. All of these, we see the influence that they had. Like, for instance, Andrew, at the beginning of John, it says uh, the, the, the Peter found his brother. 
So he, met, he, he found Jesus and he went to his brother, his oikos. So it's those who are closest to you. Now here is where we start getting in why it is so, so critical, why, why it is so impactful to be focusing on those in our own oikos, our own sphere of influence. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, those who are in Christ are what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation in Christ. And again, we won't take time to look at all that. In 1 Peter, we're to be holy, we're to love one another, long for the word, abstain from fleshly lust. These are, these are all characteristics of the transformed life. And so these are things that are taking place in our life as we're being trans, have been transformed and are being transformed by the Spirit of God. And then chapter 4, verse 4, it says, They, your oikos, are surprised, parentheses, because of the change in you, and they malign you. That's what was happening in the Roman Empire in the book of 1 Peter, the Romans, the Gentiles, those who were unsaved, were seeing the transformation in the lives of these Christians. They said, these people are cannibals because they talk about eating blood and flesh. They must be homosexuals because men are telling other men, I love you, and women are telling other women, I love you. And their arsons, they talk about fire and things are going to be destroyed by fire and so forth. So these were the these were the things that they were being accused of, being maligned of, and that's why Peter says, be ready to make a defense. Sanctify Christ and Lord in your heart. So they, their oikos, is surprised because of the change, and they malign you. How do we respond to that? And that's what first Peter is all about. So a principle that comes out, and this goes back a long time, Evangelism as a Lifestyle, published in 1980, is that affirmation of the gospel is the process of modeling and explaining the Christian message. And right here, there's two, there's two aspects of evangelism. One is proclaiming. What's the other one? Modeling. Living. And those go together when you're ministering to your oikos, to the sum and to the others. We model it. In fact, as I, I was thinking about this just sitting here a few minutes ago, in Colossians, Colossians chapter four. Uh, is that Old Testament or New Testament, Pastor? <laughs> In chapter 4, <clears throat> Paul says, Masters, grant your slaves justice for us. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, to prayer, keeping alert in it, and, and with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now here, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up a door for the word, 
so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which we have been imprisoned, that I may, may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So what's Paul saying? There's the idea of conduct. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Pray for an open door. Pray that God will help you know what to say. And so the idea is just live it out, model it, keep your antenna up, and when you sense that maybe there's an open door there, just pray for wisdom on how to take a step into that door and see how the people respond. But it all begins with the relationship. It all begins with the relationship. We're not talking about going door to door, cold turkey, we're talking about relationships. What is the overriding theme of the epistles? Proclamation or affirmation? Think about that. Think about how many times in the epistles you are told, I am told, go preach the gospel. Proclaim. There's a few. But the heavy, heavy emphasis is on lifestyle. Why? Because lifestyle is how the seed is planted and how the seed is watered before we proclaim. So pray for the open door. And then be ready. So these are principles of affirmation. And again, we're not going to look at all of those. I'll just take Ephesians and Colossians as quick examples. Because chapter, in, in each case, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, therefore, walk in a worthy manner. Therefore, you always ask, why is it therefore, therefore? In the first two chapters, he's going through a lot of theology. And he says, therefore, walk worthy. And then two chapters, well, actually more than that, of just how to walk, how to live, how to live. Colossians, the same thing. The first two chapters, theology, next two, is lifestyle. Based on this theology, here's how you're supposed to live. But it's, it's not done in a vacuum. It's done out in public. It's done among your family. It's done among your friends. Principle of affirmation, long for the word, proclaim his excellencies. That's what we've been called to do. And here's this one in, in Peter. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. <laughs> Keep your behavior excellent. Keep your testimony strong, no matter what comes. And they'll notice. <clears throat> And then the one I mentioned part of while I go to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not bear the intimidation. And back to that verse, 
always being ready to make a defense. With gentleness and reverence, keep a good conscience. Summary. Evangelism is both proclamation and affirmation. They work hand to hand. And the more a person is resistant to the proclamation, the more we love them and share the gospel by the way we live, looking for that open door. How many of you know Josh McDowell? You remember Josh McDowell? Oh, yeah. He, when he was, uh, in fact, is, I think, still with Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew. But when Brenda and I were on Campus Crusade staff back in the uh, first part of the 70s, uh, he became my hero. He, was, uh, he came to Christ by trying to prove that Christianity was false. He was one of those kind of guys. Very smart guy. He was the one that wrote the, the books, uh, F, More Than a Carpenter, on Who is Jesus, and uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict, and there are new evidence that demands a verdict. And now his son, Dr. Sean McDowell, is following in his dad's footsteps. They co-authored a new version of Evidence, but Sean has gone on to do many other things, a new kind of apologist, and apologetics for the next generation. I want to share some principles from these books with you. Principles from apologetics for a new generation. Nearly half of young non-Christians have a negative view of evangelicals. And it's for, for various reasons. To change this, Christians must build meaningful, genuine relationships with non-Christians and live out their faith consistently. The new apologist is humble. Peter talks about gentleness, respect. A good listener. They build trust. They show we care. You've heard the statement. They don't care what, they, what we know until they know that we care. And I mean sincerely know that we care. By asking questions. In dialogue. Letting them tell us their story and really trying to understand who they are and what has brought them to this place. <clears throat> Four essential questions to answer during a conversation with someone whose beliefs are different from your own. So again, this is the idea of friend to friend, discussion, dialogue, just trying to understand each other. What does this person believe? Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. He who gives an answer before he hears. Listen. Hear what they're saying. Understand what they're saying. Make sure you understand what they're saying before you speak. We ask the question, well, what do you mean by that? Define terms, because as we, as we engage unbelievers, they will use a term that may sound familiar to us, but their definition is totally different. So don't assume you know the definitions of the terms they're using. Just have now, it, help me understand what you mean by that. Then what does this person believe? How did you come to that conclusion? And just sincerely asking that question. Where do we agree? 
seek out and affirm God's truth in each perspective we encounter. Let me back up as far as how did you come to that conclusion. We talk about interacting with people with humility. I have no problem saying to somebody, you know, maybe I don't understand what you're talking about. Help me understand, because maybe I'm wrong. Then give them a chance to convince you that you're wrong. But if you're listening carefully and if you know your stuff, you can say, ah, and, and show them the difference and show why they're wrong and why you're right. But give them a chance to convince you. Don't be afraid to say, maybe I've got something to learn. Tell me more. Based on this knowledge, it says, seek out to affirm God's truth in each perspective we encounter. And, you know, that's always in the background. Based on this knowledge from what you learn, how should I proceed? This is where wisdom comes in. Avoid anger, speak wisely. Proverbs says, a fool's anger is known at once. Verse 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we're always looking with grace, with humility, friendliness, respect. We may totally, we may be at 180 degrees, the opposite end of the spectrum, but we still show respect. Critical issues, and this is what we're going to be looking at next week, our third week. According to Sean McDowell, he's become one of my heroes. He's, uh, I just love his videos. They're all over YouTube. There's some that are just a minute long where he's helping to understand some of these things. And of course, he's targeting the younger generation. And so just by watching him, listening to him, we get an idea of, of how to approach the younger generation. But he says there's four things that we need to understand and be able to defend. The first one is the inspiration and trustworthiness of the Bible. Know why it's trustworthy. Know why we can believe it. Know why it is the source of authority. <clears throat> Who is Jesus? And how do we know? How can we demonstrate who he is outside of just saying, well, because the Bible says so. Human sexuality big one in our headlines nowadays and world religions why is Christianity the truth and all the others are not can we demonstrate why so we'll be looking at all of these next week so one final thought if we want our friends and neighbors to listen to our story then we must listen to theirs if we want others to attend to our convictions, then we need to attend to theirs. If we desire for others to cultivate common ground with us, we must do so first. In doing so, we will, we will create a communication climate in which we can fulfill our deepest longing, which is engaging others in a respectful, civil way that allows us to share a perspective that has changed our life. The most effective form of evangelism 
is friend to friend in a conversation or a dialogue. And that's all built on relationships. So next week we'll be looking at finishing up by looking at some of the issues that we need to be prepared to, to answer. Father, we all want to be effective as your ambassadors. And uh, Lord, we're seeing that it's built on relationships. And that as we build relationships and as we listen to people's stories and listening carefully and sincerely with respect and humility, Lord, we pray that you would open doors for us to share our stories, our stories of finding you, forgiveness, and eternal life, and hope. So, Father, just give us courage, give us wisdom, give us boldness to just move forward, to recognize open doors, and then by faith, entering those doors. In Jesus' name, amen.